About a year ago, a lady came into our church here at Olive Branch in the Sunday morning service and had come in just with a lot of problems and Bell's palsy had taken over her face. It had been quite a while and half her face had fallen and she was struggling. And after the service, we had just suggested people to go be prayed for. And so out of obedience and desire just to be uh, just to be connected with people, she went and our prayer team began to pray with her. And they prayed for a while after service. And as they were praying, um, Brian, our, our tech guy, reports that suddenly it was like somebody announced that they were pregnant and there was an, or they just got married or something like that. Everybody was screaming and shouting and jumping up and down. And lo and behold, because of the prayer team and their prayer over her, the Bell's palsy went completely away. She was healed immediately and in that moment. Can you imagine with me what it would have been like if that lady had come to church that night and she had decided, you know, I'm just going to go to church instead of seek to be a part of the church. Can you imagine if our prayer team had decided instead of coming to church that night um, that they were just going to go instead of be the church? See, what happens is that when we are the church, when, when we live out and we don't just go to church, but we be the church, suddenly God loves to move. When we step out and use our gifts, God allows His church to start being powerful. And I just love that story because it's a great challenge for all of us. After we've learned all of these gifts, we're going to cover off on our final group of gifts today to realize that when we show up to be the church and not just go to church by using our gifts, man, God begins to move. As in this series, Gift Dead, we're going to be, class is in session, let me just remind you, we're going to be jumping in. This is going to be more of an information sermon. We're giving you detailed information about what these gifts are because we're hoping that you've been exploring what your spiritual gifts are because your gifts are given to you by the Spirit for the sake of the church to promote Jesus as Lord. That's the purpose, and we're excited that He has gifted you in that way. So what we've done so far is we've looked at the fact that spiritual gifts is what the Spirit does through you, beyond you, and for the church, and we've looked at two different groups. We've, first of all, we've looked at the word gifts, and we've looked at the various ones there. We've looked at last week with Nick the service gifts, and this week we're going to dive into that's right, the miraculous gifts. This is some interesting stuff, and we're going to focus in on these uncommon events that God does. So when we talk about the miraculous, let me be clear. I'm not simply talking about the fact that you found that sock in the, behind the dryer that should have been missing for years and years. You know, like, that's miraculous. No, no. Or the birth of a child, which is miraculous, but we don't mean in the sense of God's common everyday miracles, in the sense of God's common what we call providence. What we're talking about is when God uncommonly acts to reveal His eternal kingdom here and now. In Christ, we have the promise of eternity. We have the promise of the resurrection, of a world with no pain, no suffering, no war, no sin. And when He acts miraculously, that world breaks in because He acts in this world. And so that may be to bring people to Christ by revealing the gospel or to reveal the kingdom amongst us and build us up. So when we talk about miraculous gifts, then this is when God begins to show up uncommonly amongst us because we're willing to step out in our prayer, step out in faith, step out and ask God to do something that only God could possibly do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the four miraculous gifts plus one. We're going to add that last one in, which is tongues, and we'll, that's one everybody's been waiting for, and I'm going to leave it last because Paul leaves it last. But we're going to cover off on those four and one. 
So as we begin, if you have your Bible, open it up because you're going to want to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. We're going to be examining texts throughout that whole section. So you have it there. Look at this beginning place as we start off on these miraculous gifts. Number one, it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 and 9. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Remember, this is an occasional gift. God appears, the Spirit acts, He manifests when we act, and therefore it's what the Spirit does through you, beyond you, and for the church. And so he goes into the list. He says, after a bunch of the word gifts, to another he gives faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And so we're going to start with this first miraculous gift, which is faith. Miraculous gift number one is this faith. Now, out of clarity, this is not the faith that saves you. Yes, you have that faith, which is to be honest, that's our trusting in Jesus Christ's work on the cross, to bear our sins, to save us from our condemnation and hell that our sins have given us, to give us a new life, to resurrect us and remove us from our old evil world and ways and give us the new eternal life, the kingdom of God. Okay, so that is when we trust that and we live faithfully to God. That's that idea of faith, faith. In trust and faith in being faithful, man, now we're saved. That is not this kind of faith. Everyone who's a Christian should have that faith and being faithful to God kind of faith. All right? It's, it's that loyalty to God because He has saved us and we trust what He has done. So this is not just faithfulness. It's not just a, I have the gift of being super faithful. I always hold up to my answer, you know, my question, you know, my, my word and things like that. No. And this is also not just some dogmatic positivism. We're all going to be fine. This is going to be wonderful. The glass is always half full. You know, not that kind of a thing. This kind of faith is an uncommon thing that occurs when God gifts it to people. Faith in, one, in this context is the uncommon confidence in God's promises and activity that draws people to trust God more. That's a big definition, but let, let me explain. It is God is the uncommon confidence in God's promise. Like you're confident God is going to act. You're confident that He is going to work. You're confident that He is going to do something in someone's life or in the church's life, and it causes somebody to trust God more. The best illustration I have was given to me just yesterday. A friend of mine told me years ago that when we were talking, as we were discussing things, uh, I just, I knew something needed to change in his life. He was struggling and he was wrestling through these things. And I was confident that God wanted to act in him to help him control one thing, to deal with one thing that was with his weight. And I said, I know you can figure it out. It's one thing you can do. You can eat right. You can do this. God can help you. And I remember just the, the, uh, that I had said that, but he said the effect was so great that along with two other people, it led him to radically alter his life trusting God. He lost tons of weight. He's been healthier than he's ever been. And it was simply a beginning because he, he was able to stand on my trust of God, my faith in God. I've seen this happen several times in my life. And I'm telling you, when it occurs, it is clear that you are trusting that God's promise is going to come through for people. Jesus speaks of this kind of trust, and, and it can be great, it can be small, but it, Paul actually first says it this way. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, so that's the kind of faith we're talking about, this kind of confident faith that God could remove even a mountain if, I, if, if he gave me the faith to, to believe that he would do it. 
And this is, we get this from Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who tells his disciples. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes or trusts what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, the danger in this passage is people have used this to claim that faith is some kind of supernatural force that you can wield like the force in Star Wars. No. See, notice what he says. It says faith in God. This is trust in God's ability, not my ability. This is trust that God can show up, and he will. It is occasional that he does it. He doesn't do it every time. But this, in this case, is a confidence that God is going to show up in his promises, show up in his work, show up in his activity to change and motivate the church or something else. And so you won't doubt. It'll just be a confidence that's there because God has given it to you. And it's not a confidence in your words. It's not a confidence in anything but what God has already told us he will do in Scripture. Remember, this is under Scripture. And so we believe and trust that God can do these things. He will move in these ways. He will transform. So no wonder Jesus goes on to finish it off. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And again, this is what we do. We pray about it. We are confident in it. And Jesus is talking about, hey, this is a powerful thing when God gives you this kind of faith. It is a spiritual gift. doesn't mean every time we pray, God will give us whatever we want because, hey, I'm confident. No, it is a confidence in God and it is a spiritual gift, something the Spirit gives to you. I hope that clarifies. Sometimes we think, man, I'm a lousy Christian. God doesn't answer my prayers because I'm just not confident enough. No, it is a gift. And that is the first gift. And so when we put it this way, it's what the Spirit does. He gives you this faith. He gives you this strength to trust God, His promises and activity. And He does it through you. So you're able to declare it, pray it, or stand on that promise in the middle of what seems like um, odds that shouldn't work. And then third, it goes beyond you because it actually infuses faith in other people. It actually begins and it comes to pass that God does these things. And this builds up the church. It makes them confident. enables them to stand in trust of God. And therefore, it's a miraculous thing and an uncommon activity of God. As we look forward, then, you can see that this begins to kind of rotate into the next one. And that is one that all of us, I believe, still stand firm that God can do, and that is the miraculous gift of healing. And so, look, the apostles and the prophets, they all healed, and so did the um, Jesus obviously healed. And so this healing is like theirs, it is going, but it's not like theirs in the sense that theirs came with an authority. It confirmed that they were the, that Jesus was the Christ, that they were going to write the words of Christ, you know, these things. Our, ours are an occurrence of which God brings about. It is something that the Spirit does. And so we're confident that this gift exists, as he says, to another faith, the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing. Right? So we have this healing gift that we've been that some of you are seeing God work in your life. And I love this because there are people in our church that God just answers the prayers of healing. And the more God answers those prayers of healing, the more confident you are to pray for healing, and the more times God shows up, because that is what He loves to do through your faith and through your trust of God. So Again, we know that healing is still here today because we're even called to go to the elders to request healing. In the book of James, chapter 5, we see it says, Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil 
in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So the bottom line here is you're supposed to go to the elders. Now what's interesting is this has a medicinal aspect to it. Oh, you're medicinal. It has a, an aspect of medicine. See, they're anointing him with oil. That was an ancient form of medicine. And so when you went to the elders, they, weren't, they were using, in some sense, some kind of medicine, but it was also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a sense that medicine and healing go together. Timothy was told to take a little bit of wine for his stomach. So it's not wrong, and we should seek medicine. That is God's common grace, His common gifts to all humanity in the wonder of His world that He's made. But the spiritual gift of healing, this one that we're talking about, is not necessarily just about that particular medicine stuff. It is healing, again, is the uncommon work of the Spirit to make someone's health right. It is uncommon work of the Spirit to put somebody in the right place. And so I just need to bring that up because Again, this is an occasional gift. It's not something that you own. You can't just wield it like whenever you want. It's something the Spirit does in your prayers and through you. And yeah, it has a little bit to do with medicine um, because maybe you just know what to give the person and it's right and it helps. There's been uh, stories in missions fields where someone's bitten by a snake and um, they gave them Tylenol. And because the person trusted God would heal them through this Tylenol, they were healed. And so God will do that in certain cases. But let's just set this aside. This is when we pray and there's an instantaneous answer by God and transformation of a person. And so the real question in all this is, what does my faith have to do with it? You know, what role does faith have? Yes, Jesus was approached by a woman who touched his garment and was healed from a bleeding she'd had for many years. Doctors had looked at it. It didn't work. And so Jesus stops on his way to go resurrect a girl and says, hey, somebody touched me. And Peter's like, everybody's touching you. Jesus is a large crowd. And, and he's like, no, no, there's power that went out. God did something. And so when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. That's pretty embarrassing, but how she had been immediately healed. Because that would have said, I was unclean, I still touched him, and yet, boom, she's healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So in some cases, we see that Jesus attaches faith to healing. Faith, our faith, or in the case of the paralytic, the people's faith above, or these kinds of things. And we go, man, so God didn't answer my prayer of healing for someone is because I didn't have enough faith? There's some people out there that want to make you feel like that. There's some people out there that say, well, you just didn't have enough faith, and that's why it didn't happen. Can I just say that that is spiritual abuse? If that has happened to you, I'm sorry, that is just not what the scriptures teach. The faith that you and I have when, is when we step out to pray in the first place. When you and I step out, we trust that God can do it, and we trust God as God. We don't trust Him as our vending machine. We don't trust ourselves and our confidence in God. No, we trust God as God. That means I trust Him when He says no, and I trust Him when He says yes. I don't manipulate God. I trust Him. And so God can say no. It has nothing to do with your faith. These people came up in trust of God, and God could have, Jesus could have said no. In fact, it also ignores the times where Jesus heals people and they didn't have faith in Christ. A perfect example is found in the book of John. Jesus goes to the pool of Siloam, and he finds a man who's sitting there and hadn't been healed. He was lame, couldn't walk, and one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? 
He literally asks him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him in a very whiny way. So I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water stirred up, while I'm going, another steps down before me. So this guy's like, here's all my excuses why I haven't been healed, why God hasn't done this. This is a guy who's pretty much lost faith, lost trust. Nobody's going to help him. He's a whiner. He's a victim. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now here's the thing. When he's confronted about carrying his mat, he turns Jesus in. He doesn't think of Jesus as some awesome guy. He thought he deserved the healing. That's not faith. There's no faith in this situation. God heals when God wants to heal. We pray because he asks us to pray. And when God shows up, maybe he shows up through you more often than not to heal somebody, that is the gift of healing. And it does not have to be because you didn't have faith or X, Y, you doubted or whatever. That doesn't occur. Remember, let's put it this way. It's what the Spirit does. He hears and, pr- and goes in and, pr- and answers that healing. It's, that's what the Spirit does. What do we do? He does it through us. We pray it. We declare it. And that means that it goes beyond you. It actually occurs and it lifts up the church. People are saved. The church is healed. It's, it's beautiful. But it doesn't have to be that you need to abuse yourself because you didn't have enough faith and somebody went to the hospital or whatever. So when you pray, don't feel bad that when you're praying over someone, you trust God for all of his solutions. You trust God. God, I, I ask that you'd heal him because I know you can. And if you choose not to, I ask that you would bless the doctors and help them do a great job through medicine. And God, and I trust that if you don't even do that, that you would be with them through the suffering time. That is an okay prayer. And don't feel guilty like you don't have enough faith because you don't think God can do it. Now, if you don't think God can do it, get out of the room. Let somebody who does believe God can do it and let them pray. If you feel like God really wants you to pray for somebody's healing, pray for that healing. And it's okay. Just trust God as God. Trust Him when He says yes. Trust Him when He says no. Trust Him when He heals. Trust Him when He doesn't. It doesn't have to do with any failure on your part. Now, that then leads me to our third gift. Miraculous gift number three is actually, we just call them miracles. As as Paul puts it in Corinthians, back to chapter 12, he says to another, the workings, the powers of miracles, the energizations. It's kind of a weird word, but it means pretty much anything outside of healing that God does, right? I mean, when we start thinking about this, you remember like Jesus walking on water. That's a miracle. We get the idea of the the weather being stopped and changed by by Jesus in the boat. And we've heard of this with missionaries and other stuff. Maybe it's the crossing of the Red Sea. That's a miracle. We see these kinds of miracles happening. Paul's bitten and he doesn't die. We hear of uh, stories in the ancient church of man chopping or cursing the tree of Thor and it literally dies in the place. These kinds of things happen in our history of the church. And miraculous gifts are these uncommon actions that God does to bring attention to his gospel. And this is critical. Miracles happen to bring attention to the gospel. Miracles happen when a faithful brother or sister stands up and declares the truths of God, declares what God will do, and God shows up to do it to bring notice to his kingdom. And this is critical, and I'm not going to spend a long time here, but it is powerful. It doesn't mean they'll be saved, but it definitely gives them a chance to see it. The one time I've experienced that kind of weird miracle kind of stuff was when I was in high school. 
brand new Christian, didn't know I wasn't supposed to do this kind of stuff, right? You know, you're just trusting God. He just saved me. It was incredible. I'm sitting there only four or five weeks into my faith, and um, I'm sitting there in a drama class, and this guy named Sean sitting there, he's an ex-Catholic, he's all mad about God and stuff, and he's like, why would you even believe in God? And we're throwing, we're just goofing around throwing ten-sided dice down on the ground and just throwing them out there. And suddenly, and he's just like, yeah, prove, prove God exists. I'm fine. And I grabbed six of them and I threw them out. I said, and here's what's happened. I'm going to throw these dice. God exists. They're all going to be sixes. I threw them on the ground. They were all sixes. I picked them up. He's like, what in the world? Do that again. I'm like, fine. You want to see it done again? There's a little bit fours. And I threw them and they were all fours. And he's like, no way. No way. Do it one more time. And I'll believe him. I'm like, dude, if you won't believe that, you're not going to believe anything. And indeed, when I threw them, they were all random. And he's like, seriously? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He saw something that was unexplainable, that it was attested by God, and I was pointing him to the gospel, and he still didn't believe. So, but that's the things that God will do. And, and sometimes we think, whoa, that's gutsy and risky. It is. It, it, it's uncomfortable. Because sometimes you say it, and maybe you're wrong. You weren't, you know, God was like, I don't really want to do that right now. You know, whatever. we can't make force God's hand. That's not the case. But God will show up. He will prompt you. He will challenge you. He will make you willing to do something to capture the attention of a people so that they will come to the faith. And that is his miracles. They're uncommon, but they happen. And so the Spirit will prompt you. The Spirit will come upon you. He'll say, do this, and you'll do it. And you, you step out and declare it. You step out and do it. It goes beyond you. It actually occurs, and suddenly there's this movement of the Spirit. The people or the church is strengthened. People come to faith. But this is the thing. Hey, if we don't really take the step out, if we don't take the risk, it doesn't happen. And I think a lot of miracles don't happen because, let's be honest, since then, I probably haven't tried anything like that. Somewhere in there, I got the idea that, well, you know, God doesn't always do this, so I shouldn't say things like that, right? And so I, I stopped following the promptings. And when I don't step out, God's not going to show up because these are occasional. And sometimes I've got to say something, I've got to step up and, you know, kind of this thing with the, like, you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, God can save us from the fire if he wants to, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. And that's the case. When it comes to miracles, if you're in that place where you're like, I feel like God's going to say this, and God can do this, and he goes, even if it doesn't happen, I'm still going to believe. Because there are better reasons than just a miracle to believe. And Jesus said, don't, don't base your whole faith on all these miraculous signs. Trust that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the sign that we need. That's provable in history. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. They occur. They happen. Lots of books attest to it. Uh, you can go back to our old miracle series and take a look at that. But here we go. As we dive in further, fourth miraculous gift is this. This is the discernment of spirits. And um, I'm, going to, I'm, go I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on this because, again, this is a pretty straightforward thing. We find it right here in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, we, are, um, we have the ability or so to one, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability of distinguishing between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. And so it's interesting, scholars point out, tongues and interpretation are attached, as is prophecy and distinguishing between spirits. And so this distinguishing of spirits is primarily when God enables us to know what spirit of prophecy comes from. It's, it's how we understand to judge it. And so there's two ways, right? First of all, as some people discern whether the Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of man, or another spirit, and we judge it from the Scriptures. 
And so what we see is that we're called as a people to judge the prophecies. If somebody stands up, as we talked in week one, and speaks out some kind of prophecy, we already said it needs to be weighed. Uh, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 14. Let two or three prophets speak, and then let others weigh what is said. Providence weigh it. The person, the people who weigh it are the elders, the leadership, and they weigh the prophecy, they weigh the teaching, and they do it through discernment of the Spirit. Now, how can you tell if it's from the Spirit of God? Well, Paul, you know, John gives us a test in 1 John of whether they proclaim that Jesus came in the flesh. And what he's really saying is, does it uphold the Scriptures? Number one, does it line up with Scriptures? If it doesn't, throw it out. It's of the wrong spirit. And it'll be clear, discerning of spirits also, however, is a powerful gift to be able to go, that doesn't sound right, or that is absolutely the Spirit of God. Just a sense of its correctness will come. And when it's not correct, we want to discern, is it an evil spirit? Have they been involved in hearing um, the lies of our culture and just it's filtering through their mouths? Is it their own spirit, their own desires, their own wants? And so we say, that isn't correct. That needs to be gotten rid of. Deal with it. And so what we have here is this ability kind of to be prompted by the Spirit, to know if it's right or wrong, to confirm it or to, dis, to, to put it away. And then you have to speak against it. You have to speak out how it's checked with the Scriptures and say yes or no. And it'll go beyond you because it'll be, bring clarity to the church. It'll keep us from falsehood and bring us into truth. Now, this also can be a sense of where other teachings, other word things, you may be listening to sermons, that doesn't settle right, that doesn't seem right. Or you may be sitting in a situation where somebody in your small group is, uh, is acting in a way and you're going, there's something wrong here. And you may have a sense that person has been involved with some kind of abuse or drugs, something like that. And it's just clear to you, that gets close to the word of, this word of knowledge stuff, but you're discerning there's another spirit acting in the midst of this stuff. There's another situation happening. And that same discernment helps us know what's going on. That this person speaking isn't from God. It's not lining up. It doesn't match. And this kind of discernment is helpful when you received it to, again, rid ourselves of the falsehood, but gather the truth. And so I want to encourage you guys to, to just pray and see if God is doing this. And this isn't humility. It doesn't make you the authority over other people because ultimately, again, we're under the Scripture. And so those are the four miraculous gifts that we find. And now we're going to do our plus one. And I kind of moved quickly because the plus one is the one that is the most difficult. And that is the gift of tongues. The plus one is this gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, this is a big debate out there, but I don't see anywhere reason why tongues should not or do not or has gone away. In fact, it goes on to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, as we see goes on, to another the various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. The word tongues means languages. It's a simple way of saying languages in the ancient world. And so Paul puts it last, as we are, because it was Corinth's favorite. Man, it was cool if you could speak in tongues, primarily because those kind of utterances were found in other pagan temples, and they were having trouble discerning what was the you know, most powerful. And Paul's just going to bring it down. He says, look, tongues, tongues needs to be put in its right place. Tongues needs to be kind of guided into its correct location. And so what is tongues? Let's just define it quickly. Tongues is the spirit-given prayer in a language you don't understand. Uh, the spirit-given prayer in a language you don't understand. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, you can look it up. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, meaning like if I can speak other languages and I can speak the languages of angels, so it implies that these tongues 
are languages of some kind, perhaps angelic languages, perhaps they're earthly languages. The bottom line is they're not understood by the speaker or the people present. The Spirit of God must give you the interpretation and He will allow you then to understand the language. We see this at the book of Acts. The apostles are standing up speaking and whatever they're saying is being interpreted in the language of the people in multiple different languages. And so they had this interpretation given to them while they spoke this tongues, as it's called there in Acts. And so, is this, and I use the word prayer because that's what it primarily is. And so it's not about whether it exists or whether it doesn't exist and all this stuff. Really, the bottom line question is how should it be used? And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about. And so we're going to dive in and kind of break down quickly his argument in 1 Corinthians 14 in these last few minutes. So if you've got your Bible, open it. I, find, I think you'll find this fascinating and helpful if you've ever been in a church setting where people stand up and speak in tongues and these kinds of things, and you wonder why does Olive Branch not do this stuff in our services? Um, he, he, we're going to get into it right now. So if you've got it, open it, and we're going to start here. We're going to look at verse 2. It starts off as Paul is going to say, look... Clear speech is better than garbled speech. Intelligible speech is better than unintelligible speech. He starts off, For one who speaks in a tongue, a language, speaks not to men, but to God. For one who understand, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so he says, look, we want to build up the church, not just build up ourselves. We want to build up others. And so tongues is there clearly to build the person up. It's clearly to speak the mysteries of God, and it's clearly spoken to God. That's why we call it a prayer. And so he says, look, it's better in this way that we have a clarity of speech. We have, it's better that we have an understanding that builds up the church. In fact, Paul goes on, he says, I want people to speak in tongues. He's not against it. He says, verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. So that's his basic argument. He says, better to use words of intelligibility, of prophecy, something like that, than tongues because one builds up the church, the other builds up the person. Unless somebody interprets the tongue, they don't know what's going on. And so he goes on to say, look, we need to seek then, first and foremost, to be understood. We pick it up in verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? How am I going to help you out if I'm... Imagine that I'm doing that in this, uh, on this video and nobody's going to watch it. Nobody's going to know what I'm doing, understand what I'm saying. And Paul's saying the same thing. It's not going to benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Something with words that you understand. In fact, he goes on through a whole thing about how there's lots of languages, but we all get them. Even a trumpet call needs to be clear and instruments need to be clear. So he's like, everything we want to be clear, if it's garbled, it doesn't make sense. Verse 13 picks up then his conclusion. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why? So that they can be clear about what they're saying. And he goes on, for if I pray in a language, a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Notice he's talking about prayer here again. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing, with my, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. He says, even when I'm alone and I'm praying in a tongue, I allow my mind to think words. He wants 
there to be clarity. Clarity of speech. How much more in the church? If we're going to speak in tongues in a congregation setting us in, I'd rather you just give prophecy. I'd rather you speak clearly so people can understand what's going on. Because the goal is not to build up yourself, but to build up the church. And so when you pray, it builds you up, but pray then that you could interpret so it could build up others. And finally, he says, look, I'm an example. We'll pick that up in verse 17. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So that would be a shocker. Paul speaks in tongues? Absolutely. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He says, guys, I speak in tongues all the time, more than any of you guys, and I don't do it in the church because I want to be clear and I want you guys to be built up. I want to speak words that make sense. Which is a powerful thought because, again, his point in the church is for it to be clear. Why? Well, here's his greatest concern because there's a warning here. It can lead to the lack of a, Christ, of a non-Christian coming to Christ. It can lead to or keep people from the faith. Let's put it that way. Note, picking up verse 21. He says, look, in the law, it's written, By people of a strange tongue and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. Now he explains, it says, look, from this prophecy in Isaiah, it says that you're going to speak in tongues, they're not going to get it. And so he says, thus tongues are, not a, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, they're a sign, a sign of condemnation. They're a sign that we're all part of something as believers, but for them, they're not. They're out. You, yeah, you're speaking in tongues. We're all like, yay, I look, God's working through you. They're like, you crazy. Notice that's exactly what he says. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and, all, and an unbeliever or outsider error enters, he's convicted because he, by all, because he's called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. Again, the point of the gifts is to show God is with us, to build his tabernacle, to make Christ as Lord. But we're all gathering around, shouting out things that they don't understand. There's no opportunity for them to be convicted by their sin. To be convicted that they're sleeping with their girlfriend. To be convicted that they've moved in instead of gotten married. To be convicted that they've had an abortion. To be convicted that they've been lying to their boss. To be convicted that they've been smuggling money. To be convicted that they're out there and, and they've actually stolen things from work and they're using it somewhere else. To be convicted that they're out there actually literally doing a second life with their, with, uh, apart from their family where they're abusing their spouse. Or to be convicted because, hey, you know what? They actually are, are putting something in their life ahead of God, and, and it's just, you know, they secretly look like great Christians, but they're not. There's lots of things to be convicted of, but how will they know if it's not stated? How will they know if their hatred isn't pointed out? How will they know if their covetousness isn't exposed? And so Paul says, better to speak words of intelligible languages than ones that we don't understand. Now again, he says, ultimately, when it comes down to tongues in the church, he wants order. Um, he, he, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
And he goes on, but if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or th- And so he, he, he clarifies this. He says, guys, what I'm asking you to do is to control yourself. Tongues is a controllable thing. It is not something that just happens and you have to say it. If there's no interpreter, quiet. You, you talk to God because this is about prayer. And that's where I want to encourage you. Where would we put it here at Olive Branch? We put it in our prayer times. If you have the gift of tongues, use it in your prayer life. Use it when you're praying over someone. Use it when, perhaps in your small group, if everyone's comfortable for the, with that. But if there's no interpretation, even in your small group, keep it with yourself. It is a private prayer language that enables you to connect with God because He gives you this in times where we don't have words. So I want to encourage you, why wouldn't we have them in service when we're worshiping? Because there may be a believer there, and it is a sign of his condemnation because he's going to look at it and say, you people are out of your minds. And we would rather have our language be clear and our songs be crisp and our preaching be exact to convict the heart of people. Not that gifts, the gift of tongues is bad. I'm not saying that. It's used in its right place. And if you have that gift, be praying for the church. Call upon God to give you that gift and allow it to work in your heart and your soul as you praise Him in your home, as you praise Him in your prayers, as you praise Him in the prayer groups at the church, as you enable that to be used appropriately. And as we see these gifts used appropriately, the church will build. The church will be strengthened. We don't have to fear that these things are happening. In fact, in small groups and places like that, it is possible to be used. And we have this opportunity. I'm very serious about using these gifts. The reason why is because I have four very strong reasons. Adeline, Nathaniel, Jonathan, and Andrew. My four children shouldn't be here. You see, my wife was told at a very young age, because she had massive amounts of x-rays done over her pelvic area as a baby, that she was never going to have children, that everything was sterile and dead. But my father-in-law prayed every day, trusting God would heal and keep that, those children safe. And the reason I believe I have four children today is because God answered the prayers of my father-in-law who was faithful. He was a man who stepped out and God gave him that gift of healing at that moment. And it has blessed my house, it has blessed my family. And so I wanna encourage you guys, don't just go to church. Don't just think Christianity is about coming and going. It is about being the church. Use your gifts and you'll see what God is really going to do. I wanna be praying for you guys that as you continue forward, that you really see what God has given you But then also look forward to next week because there's a right way to use gifts and a wrong way. We're going to dive directly into that. Let me pray. Father, would you please bless those who are watching this that you would expose and show them their gifts, that they would use them. They would start being the church, not just going to church. They would start engaging with the community, using the gifts and allowing those gifts to flow so that you, Lord, would be seen as Lord. Thank you for what you do through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.